this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the Internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! How healthy are your arteries? Deteriorating circulation has a number of early warning signs. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, fingers and or toes often go cold, arms and or legs often go to sleep, sharp diagonal crease in the earlobe, short walks cause cramping or pains in legs, memory is not as good as it used to be, ankles swell late in the day, chest pain after physical exercise or emotional stress. If you experience even one of these symptoms, your circulatory system is crying out for attention. Extendivite is a natural solution to help improve your overall health. Extendivite is not your average heart tonic. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or find us on Amazon. Extend your life with Extendivite. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Welcome to Sacred Matrix, a divine paradigm of love and universal consciousness, with your host, Janet Kira Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Together, we transform the world. And now, here are your hosts, Janet Kira and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our show. What is today? Today is Sunday. I have the wrong show name up. Today is, oh, and I got some feedback. Hold on one second. Let me get rid of that feedback. I watch Netflix at night, and then I max my speaker, and then I forget about it. Here we go. Okay. Welcome to the Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio at revolution.radio. And I'm your host, Janet Carolison, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alec Lesson. Our producer is Thomas Becker. And today we have a very special guest, Paul Eno. And he's one half of a father-son team of the CBS Radio and WOON, W-O-O-N, 1240 AM, Boston, Worcestershire, Providence, Sunday destination show called Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And it just celebrated its 10th year on air and has an estimated 3 million listeners. 
And together they have a combined experience of over 80, or no, sorry, 60 years in paranormal research. These two supernatural adventures are among the pioneers of the theory that UFOs, ghosts, and poltergeist phenomena, cryptids, and other areas of the paranormal are very closely connected. And they are joint authors of Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. Uh, and behind the paranormal, two Bigfoot, Mothman, and monsters you never heard of. And Paul's the author or co-author of more than 10 other books on paranormal and, and historical subjects. And so Paul was one of the first paranormal investigators of the early 70s while he was studying for the, priest, the priesthood. Oh, goodness. And his early mentors included parapsychology pioneer Dr. Louisa Rhine and... Uh, John Nicola, who was a technical advisor for the film The Exorcist, and the legendary first-generation ghost hunters, Ed and Lorraine Warren. And Paul graduated from two seminaries, but was expelled from a third because of his paranormal work with less than two years to go before ordination. And um, so anyway, I guess, I don't know, if he was Catholic, I guess we wouldn't have his son, <laughs> Ben. So Ben's grateful that Dad didn't continue that. <laughs> <laughs> so let me bring on Sasha before I bring you on, Paul. And uh, Sasha, are you there? Sound check. How are you today, dear? I'm sound and I'm checked and ready to listen and learn. Thank you. All right. So, Paul, welcome to our shows. How are you doing today? And you're in New England. Uh, yes. Thank you very much for having me, Janet and Sasha, and uh, good evening from uh, deepest, darkest New England. Deepest, darkest New England. And so, of course, New England is uh, the most ideal, one of the most ideal places to study the paranormal because they have ghosts. Uh, you know, that's where we started this country. So there's some ghosts that have been there for a long time. Um, but I'm going to let you lead uh, the way here, and we'll follow you and, and track you. What would you like to begin telling our listeners about yourself, about your work? And we'll listen for about 10, 15 minutes or so, and then we'll interrupt you with some questions. How's that? Uh, fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, it's uh, it's been a long road. Um, next year, it'll be 50 years that I've been, been doing this. It was a... Uh, <clears throat> probably uh, to start at the very beginning, and this, as you can imagine, is not easy to talk about, but uh, when I was seven years old in 1961, I uh, witnessed my father's suicide. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> at um, at the time, my brother was studying to be a priest. We were, uh, my, my father was, it was a mixed marriage. My father was a garden variety Protestant, and my mother was a Roman Catholic, although from a Yankee family. Uh, pretty much so and there was one lonely French connection that's how the Catholicism get in there so I was in second grade and they were teaching us things like you know you eat a hot dog on Friday uh, you know or you commit suicide you go straight to hell so I, I was very confused and uh, I said you know this wonderful man uh, did, in, it, did he go to hell you know and uh, I had because uh, of the sisters of Mercy, uh, I wouldn't necessarily believe the name, but the uh, some of them were um, saints, others were potential axe murderers, you know, the women in black, you know, with all due respect to their service. But fortunately, I had one of the saints, Sister Mary Joel. She was, um, she got me through this. And she said, essentially, you know, in so many words, you know, God is bigger than all that. So, you know, it, it really helped. 
So as years went by, um, I only seven more years, uh, I entered the seminary myself at the age of 14 when you could still do that. Fortunately, you cannot. You, know, you have to develop a little bit of emotional maturity first, but not yes. no. Yeah. So in any case, um, one of the questions that, that, that haunted me, so to speak, was, where is my father? And uh, in the early days, of course, you know, you're at the high school level. You're not studying a lot of heavy theology or anything. It's the usual subjects, languages, math, English. You know, it's, it's uh, an accredited education, so you study the core stuff. Uh, however, in the back of my mind, I wondered, you know, this doctrine of purgatory, uh, it's kind of unique to Roman Catholicism, and it's it's the idea that if you are not quite bad enough to go to hell and not quite good enough to go to heaven, you go to purgatory to be, uh, you know, purged, hence the name, uh, to then get into heaven and also satisfy the uh, pathological Western need to pigeonhole everything and, and pin it down to make you think you control it. So that, although that's not the official doctrine. Anyway, uh, and I thought maybe these ghosts... People report, and, and at, my, at my house where this terrible event had occurred, you know, it was very peaceful. Uh, the um, assumptions are that you'd have all kinds of problems and there'd be, you know, clanking of chains and stomping of feet, and there was none of that. Um, so I, I thought that maybe these people uh, who are in purgatory are actually the, the quote-unquote earthbound spirits that are so prevalent in the uh, in the in the folklore and in, in the experience, uh, really much everywhere in the world, in every culture throughout history, one way or the other, you know, under one term or another. So uh, I, I started on that, and, and in 1970, I discovered a case. Uh, it was in the local paper when it was in October. Uh, you know, usually around, uh, of course, uh, no, actually it was in June. You'd think it would be in October around Halloween, but it was in, uh, an overgrown settlement that was long deserted in northeast Connecticut, which is a very quiet uh, corner of the of the state. And uh, there was an old man who had been taking pictures there since the 1940s, and he was the local historian. And a uh, push came to shove, and uh, he had, uh, had a lot of odd photos. And there were a lot of rumors of strange sounds there. So, so this might be an interesting place to start uh, researching this purgatory thing. So um, in uh, 1971, after a lot of preparation, uh, several of my fellow seminary students and I went to this little abandoned village in Pomfret, Connecticut, which I'm sure you've probably never heard of, a lovely little town. And Harry Chase, the local historian, uh, met us, and he guided us through the through, – <coughs> excuse me – through this area, <coughs> beg your pardon, and he uh, <coughs> immediately we began to notice odd things. There were sounds uh, as of um, farm implements banging together. You could hear cows, dogs, people talking, and there was literally nothing there. There was nothing <coughs> within half a mile because we uh, t took a very uh, systematic approach and mapped everything out. Uh, but, but you know, from the get-go, there were all these odd sounds. Uh, among the many things that happened there were um, the sounds of children, uh, which is very, very odd. It was, it was almost like uh, electronic voice phenomena in reverse. We attempted to record it, and we had a, the state-of-the-art technology at the time, which was a uh, <coughs> cassette tape recorder. And we stood there, and we all heard these voices of children laughing, rapidly moving up and down a brook, as, as if they were traveling at about 60 miles an hour, back and forth. Very strange. Uh, and we found immediately that, that the spatial relationships of these phenomena can be very odd. 
So uh, th- then at another point uh, on, on the second expedition, there were uh, was a, an ox cart, apparently, that, that went by. It, it sounded so real that we got out of the way. And uh, we heard it. Uh, we heard uh, the wooden wheels, the hoofbeats. We heard a, uh, a team driver yelling, yeah, and the crack of a whip. And we couldn't wow. see it. And, and it just kept going. And, and that has been reported by several people. So it immediately threw me into confusion. I mean, these people showed no sign of being dead at all, never mind being in purgatory. And it started me on a long quest uh, wondering uh, maybe the old ideas we have about ghosts being dead people just aren't good enough. Uh, and as time went by in the 70s, I was running into the people seeing ghosts of themselves, people seeing ghosts of people who had died yet. And I began to wonder, maybe this has more to do with time or space-time, as Einstein would say, than it does with anybody being dead. And I sort of rejected early on the uh, sort of the 19th century, what I consider two-dimensional approach to what this is, and got into a whole new approach uh, to the thing, which, and of course, I was preceded in this by someone I hadn't heard of yet, and that's uh, Jacques Vallée, who, a brilliant uh, scholar, and of course, John Keel as well, who got into the idea of window areas. You know, you literally open the window, all kinds of stuff comes in from somewhere or somewhere else. So this was kind of the beginning, and and what really took the giddy biscuit was in 1979, a case in Maine, and I was just out of graduate school and had nothing, and uh, ended up uh, living in a uh, little cottage by a lake in Connecticut. And the phone rang, and it was a young student from the University of, and uh, said that they had been in Maine the previous weekend with some friends, and uh, they would never forget what happened. And essentially, it was uh, the young girl, her sister, uh, who had a big believer in reincarnation and all this sort of thing, said, stop the car, that's my house. And they couldn't stop her. She ran up to the to the door, uh, pounded on uh, the door, and a, a couple answered the door, and, and the woman screamed when she saw the girl. Uh, the man uh, couldn't speak, and finally, uh, they everybody had the creeps by now, and, and the, the girl who had knocked on the door said, uh, I'm sorry to bother you, I just feel as though I know this house. And the man said, well, you should know this house, you haunt it. So, <laughs> so I, you know, so anyway, I, I, I got into that, and uh, as luck would have it, my mother, my mother's family had had a house vacation home in that town on the main coast for uh, since 1872. <laughs> so we knew a few people in town, and uh, I managed to get to the bottom of that. But it just further confused me. It just it it didn't match the um, well, the generally accepted assumptions. Let me ask some questions about that, because that's really interesting. I've had ghosts come to my house. My house was an 1840s farmhouse in Pennsylvania. And uh, as a child, I was accustomed to seeing somebody, you know, floating around my rooms. And lots of times they'd stand at the foot of my bed. But at one point, I got very confused because my cousin, who was about a year younger than me, and she lived in a house four doors away, um, I, I woke up and it was like uh, uh, the sun was rising, so you could, you could see, right? It was, it was day, and there she was standing at the foot of my bed. And I, I said, I must be crazy because she can't be a ghost. She's still alive. So now you're saying, and I've never heard anybody say this before, you're saying that this young girl uh, went to the house and the woman screamed because she was haunting it. Did you ever get into any further, any explanation from, from the, the couple or from the, the girl about oh, what sure. might have been going on? 
Oh, yeah. Well, I, I interviewed uh, off. I went to me. Well, first of all, I, I didn't dare call the guy. I figured he'd have a heart attack. So I, I wrote a letter to him and I put in every uh, psych psychology, you know, professor, everybody, every priest I'd work, everybody I'd worked with, just to let him know that I wasn't some kind of flake. I said, I'd really like to talk to you about this. And in the meantime, uh, I sent the girl by means of a priest friend of mine who was also a psychologist to the Institute of Living in Hartford, Connecticut, which I still exists, uh, for the, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory Test. And that's a pre-diagnostic tool that's still used uh, to determine whether someone needs any kind of psychiatric treatment. And so while that was happening, I went up to Maine and I sat down with this couple because the man called me as soon as he received the letter three days later. And uh, here's the story I got from the, the couple. They said they had seen this girl in transparent form coming down the stairs, looking out the front window, uh, doing this, that, and the other thing. Uh, but she was in transparent, and she didn't see, she seemed to almost to know they were there, but to really kind of look through them, that sort of thing, which I found very strange. Uh, meanwhile, the girl, uh, I debriefed her, and she said that she, and they had not talked further, according to the witnesses. Than what I've said on the porch, they immediately left as soon as they heard this. You haunt it. <laughs> See you later. You know. So mm -hmm. the girl said that she had had dreams, vivid dreams of doing exactly what the couple had described her doing in transparent form, although not at the same time they were seeing her, which I found very interesting. But coming down the stairs, looking out the front window, and interestingly, in the dreams she was a mother of two children, and it was her house. And she said, as a matter of fact, coming around the corner, and this was in the town of York Harbor, Maine, uh, although in kind of in the back country, she said the first thing that popped into her mind was, why aren't there any toys in the yard? Because apparently their kids had toys all over the yard. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of left that. I was kind of dazzled by the thing. And But, but looking back on it now, uh, if, if I knew then what I think I know now, uh, they were experiencing a, a joint experience, a mutual experience of, of the same parallel worlds because the only explanation for this stuff and again i always say i could be wrong the old ideas the old spiritualist ideas might be correct maybe these really are dead people but i doubt it because i've never seen it in almost 50 years of working with this stuff and i think if you, if you sort of open the doors uh, and get out of the box whatever uh, all kinds of amazing things uh happen and, and there are all sorts of different conclusions that can be reached but i think that um uh, what I started at this point to run into quantum mechanics. Now there, there's been a lot of baloney about that out there, but uh, to this at this point today, physicists pretty much can't deny the existence of parallel worlds. Okay, but now mm -hmm. what does that what does that mean? Uh, you have string theory, uh, which postulates you know maybe eleven or more parallel worlds. Okay, uh, string th in physics and in many sciences, particularly physics. They will come up with a theory to explain something they don't understand and kind of hope that it proves out. And, and you know, that's a perfectly legitimate way to do it because very often it does. The whole theory of dark matter and all that uh, resulted from such a, uh, a theory, you know, and uh, a uh, stopgap sort of a thing. So uh, the idea with the multiple worlds is that, uh, and because string theory is supposed to unite old-time Newtonian physics that, you know, will build you a highway or get you to the moon uh, with, a new, with, with the new fringe physics, the uh, quantum physics, which will perhaps uh, define and deepen our understanding of reality. So it's supposed to bring all that together. 
and maybe it will. I don't know. Uh, but the quantum idea is is that you have the, the the idea that we go on and that is accepted by some big names who've been on our show, such as uh, Dr. Amit Goswami and Fr Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, uh, legends mm -hmm. of the, the community. There uh, is is that every possible. First of all, based on Einstein's 1952 theory of relativity, there is no past. There is no future. Everything is simultaneous. We just experience it as a function of our consciousness from past to future. Of course, this does all kinds of wonders for the old ideas about reincarnation. And all that. But be that to mm -hmm. say, the, uh, the, the idea of time is, is not only uh, simultaneous, but also all things that are possible do actually exist in concrete reality somewhere or someone in the multiverse. You don't call it the universe mm -hmm. because there are all sorts of different, you know, the multiverse. And in many, many different worlds, uh, which have different laws of physics, uh, you can have different things happening. In other words, um, uh, you, Janet, uh, were never born in many parallel worlds. Um, Sasha, you, you died in a UFO crash 30,000 years ago. It's, it's all out there somewhere or somewhere. Uh, the theory of, of physics of consciousness based on this, something I happen to subscribe to, is that uh, our entire subconscious is made up of these parallel worlds that we're living. And in, in the parallel, a given parallel world, the world which we're conscious of now is part of your subconscious. Uh, that explains why uh, not only a lot of the paranormal stuff I was running into, but explains why uh, Mozart, at the age of four, started composing brilliant piano concerti and could perform before the crown heads of Europe and the Pope flawlessly as, as a young child because he already is, you can't even use the term was anymore, is a brilliant composer in, in many parallel worlds. And he was just aware of it and, and in contact with it. This is wild stuff. And it's hard to get your head around, especially the time thing. But it's the only thing that explained uh, what was going on. Um, if, I, if I have a moment, I, I will explain uh, one thing that occurred. And this is in my next book that's coming out in August. Uh, I call it The, um, the Mistaken Medium. And uh, there's a lot of background to this. But uh, I was working uh, while a seminary student in upstate New York. Yeah, yeah I, I was working with um, a, a priest. Uh, and the faculty at that particular seminary, Wadhams Hall Seminary, was very sympathetic to my paranormal work, something that surprised me very much because the, the, the Bishop of Burlington, Vermont, my boss, had sent me there to kind of keep me out of mischief. Well, he didn't figure around Father Lawrence and the, uh, the, the uh, St. Lawrence State Hospital, or, or otherwise known as the Asylum for the Insane. So I was working with him there. And there was pastoral work the seminarians would do as part of their training, go you know, visit patients and that sort of thing and have um, pray with them and all this. Uh, but I was working with him on exorcisms. Okay, uh, Very, very hush-hush, obviously. But at one point, mm -hmm. there was the, uh, we were, were going to deal, uh, I was curious about the haunted ward, as I called it. For about a year, there had been a ward in which there was, uh, you know, the staff didn't like to be there at night. Uh, there, the, the patients were antsy most of the time. And I ran into a woman there who claimed to be a psychic medium. And she said, oh, do you know why this hallway is haunted? I said, well, no. <laughs> and she said, well, there's um, a man who is um, waiting for his wife, uh, who presumably was a patient there, and he's going to take her home after she passes over. So I said, oh, all right. And because th this, this is 1973 and had already been, very confused by this idea, and I said, you know, that's maybe that's not good enough. Maybe there's more to it. So uh, that that was her interpretation. I said, I'm going to see what I can do with this. 
there was in that hallway a little uh, chapel. It was really not used, very small room, you know, like one light bulb and a skylight. And uh, I went in there and, and, you know, kind of on the slide. And the, the, the staff figured, well, he's a seminarian. He's going to the chapel. So uh, I, it took for, uh, the better part of th- several hours over three nights. And I just put myself in a meditative state. And I've always hesitated to write about this because I always advise against uh, mediumistic activities because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what these things uh, are. Uh, it's to, to believe what they're saying can be a highly reckless and dangerous thing to do. So here I am doing it. Right? Uh, I don't consider it mediumistic. I just put myself in a meditative state. Maybe I'm fooling myself. Anyway, all of a sudden I heard right in my left ear, hello, not hello. Hello, and I I started this this conversation. Uh, I was really shocked. I wasn't as frightened as I thought I would be, but that this was a man waiting for his wife. And I said, "Oh, gee, maybe she's right." But it turned out he was waiting for his wife at the railroad station across the Saint Lawrence River in Prescott, Ontario, Canada. So I'm there. What? And, and his, the word order he used was very odd. He couldn't understand some of my words, but but it was very clear that he was waiting. And I even heard sounds in the background. Now, there really was a railroad station across the river. I'd used, gone to Montreal many times from that station, uh, except that this guy seemed to be in a parallel reality. And the first thing I thought was, you know, the, the river's a mile wide here. How can I hear you? But he knew about Augensburg, the town we were in, and this. So, long story short, it, it's this. If it's what it appeared to be, the guy was was waiting for his wife, and uh, if his, um, you know, across the membrane or brain, B R A N E, as a physicist would call it, between parallel worlds, which is plasma charged and highly electrical, which is why you look through it and you see people who look shimmery and ghost-like and all that. Um, mm-hmm. He might. She picked it up, maybe, and. What else could it be but a spirit, a ghost waiting for his wife? Because she had no other concept of what it could be. So if this is what it appeared to be, it was a whole kind of new approach to what this was. And I actually heard a diesel locomotive in the background. <laughs> so I, I, I was, I was freaked out. I, mean, I went back to the seminary and and like I, I didn't, I didn't eat. Uh, they, they got worried about me. I, you know, I mean, I just, I pretended to be sick. I, I, I didn't know what to do. Because I'll, t- I'll tell you, Janet and Sasha, you know, the scare people ask me, what are the scariest things that have happened to me over all these years? And um, the phenomena are one thing, but the really scary things are when your belief system gets shattered right. by things, you know, I, and, and uh, that happened a year later in the Bridgeport Poltergeist case I was working on with the Warrens. Uh, that happened again. And um, well, let's before we go to the next case, let me just stop with this one here because this is very, very interesting. Did you ever get the man's name? And did you ever try to? Was he in the same time or was it a future well, past time? This is the thing he said his name was Gilbert, you know, normal enough name, all right. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the time seemed to be all messed right. up. Um, like, like it would all of a sudden, like, he, it would the connection would stop. And I'd come back the next day, and I'd pick him up again. It might take half an hour to 45 minutes to do it in the meditative state, but I'd pick him up again. And to him, there had been no break in the conversation. 
So I, I mean, it, so there was there was a time issue going on. Uh, spatially, it, it was very strange. There was another case late, uh, several cases actually, where the uh, whoever, whoever I was talking to seemed to be up by the ceiling. There have been many cases in which I could not communicate because the la- I didn't know the language, or that whatever I was talking to was totally nonverbal. Um, there was uh, there was I, I called the the noble bear. Uh, <laughs> In the, in the 1980s, this is in the area of Buffalo, New York, and not far from Niagara Falls. And this was, uh, the people had, uh, it was this through an erstwhile seminary classmate of mine. They had heard, you know, something stomping around in their attic, and they thought it was a ghost, and they were afraid, or it had to be the, you know, the, uh, the this or that guy who died in the house, or, you know, that those are the assumptions. You, you walk into these cases, and they tell you what's going on, and they're, I, I right. find that that's usually not correct. And this noble uh, bear, as I call it, was, uh, I did the same thing with the meditation. <clears throat> and I actually got a photograph of this one. It's going to be in the book. And the, the spatial relationship was very odd. It was like um, this very tall uh, creature who, and the, I can't stress, stress how much of the nobility, goodness, even wisdom pouring off this, this, this being. Uh, it was a, an amazing, it was a beautiful experience. But he said that he was, but he was speaking in a very odd form of Latin. The case endings were all wrong, but I picked it out just from knowing vocabulary. And um, he was um, didn't had no idea he was in any kind of attic in Tonawanda, New York, or Buffalo. And uh, he was uh, on a quest sent by a, a female supreme being to go to Renthusia, a place I have never heard of before or since, and uh, to, to perform uh, an act of caritas et humilita, which is essentially charity and love and humility. Imagine being in a world where you're rewarded for humility. <laughs> I mean, wow. you talk about alien. Uh, I mean, it's like... Um, it's it's it's. I it was funny. Our producer was just saying he's from Tonawanda. <laughs> what a ride! <laughs> what a yeah. But uh, you know, after a few days of, of these communications, and you know, you, you try to explain this to the people you're trying to help. You know, they, they don't get any right. of it. I didn't get it. So uh, off he went. They never had any more uh, issues. And uh, so he was. Uh, he wasn't even Terran. He was extraterrestrial. Well, I don't. I don't know. What does that even mean, Janet? You know, it, well, it's kind of I guess just huh? origins of where do you originate from, which which uh, sphere of influence do you? Orig- but yeah. yeah, we're multi-dimensional beings, and we're you know everywhere. So well, he, <laughs> was, was from, he wasn't from so Tonawanda as we know it. I'll tell you that. Yeah, he was. He was passing through. According to him, if I got the Latin right, he was uh, on a road in a woodland talking to uh, Ali Viatori. Uh, people, uh, fellow travelers, if you will, mm-hmm. along the road, you know. So, I mean, I mean all. I, I mean, you tell me. I mean, but you you described him as a okay. bear on the bear. Go ahead, Sasha. What do you have? Comments, questions. Go ahead. Uh, well, just uh, it, it's interesting. It's uh, like two parts of yourself are meeting and uh, finding how you uh, cohere. Well, actually, you know, you may have. You may have hit the nail right on the head there in a way, because one of the principles, you know, again, if this theory is correct about the multiverse, is that we exist in many of these parallel worlds. And not just that, but that we are each other in one world or another, including what we call the parasites and maybe the, the 
noble bear ursine creatures or whatever and uh, that was kind of brought home in a very simple way to me you know again if it's true uh, we, I was speaking at uh, Mount Ida College up near Boston uh, this is many years ago and it was I, I got a kick out of it because half the students were studying to be undertakers right as what one of the majors <laughs> offered there and um, huge crowd and I'd been talking about human relationships in the multiverse and I love to speak at colleges because I get great questions from the students and at the end they'll usually put me in a big armchair you know like Santa Claus or something and the, the students will come up and, and in pairs or, or in groups and tell me their story stories. Uh, there were two freshman girls who were among the first to come up and they said, you know, we're very intrigued by this because from um, re on registration day, uh, we saw each other across the crowded room and never seen each other before. We were sisters from the start, you know, just inseparable friends now and this sort of thing. And so why do you think that was? I said, well, at one point in the multiverse, in one world or another or many, you are each other. I didn't have to say another word. They recognized that concept. They said, that's it. And they, they went scurrying happily away, uh, figuring that they had an explanation for, you know, how these things happen. And we've all run into people we feel an immediate connection with, you know. And, you know, maybe that's the explanation. Maybe it's something else. But I think that, that that's rather beautiful. Um, uh, however, where it gets really complicated is when you start dealing with uh, parasites and these sorts of things. But before... Uh, I don't know if you want to stay on the subject of, of the, the well, cross-world uh, relationships. Let's do this a little bit more, and then we'll go to parasites. <laughs> so let's okay. Study. Yeah. Uh, the funny okay, thing so was, these, go ahead. Uh, well, no, I just started running into, uh, quote-unquote, ghosts who, who were terrified of us because they thought we were ghosts haunting them. And it's funny, I was on the air a few years ago with, with uh, none other than Jason Hawes of the Ghost Hunters. And uh, I was on, he was doing a show and um, he said, you know, it's funny you describe it that way because uh, they, they were talking about, this is in one of their shows. I don't, I don't watch these shows. I don't know. I mean, better things to do. I mean, with all due respect to the work they put in. Uh, at, at some kind of haunted hotel, and they were in touch with this woman, uh, and she kept, uh, the woman who was supposed to be a ghost, and kept asking if they were from security. And he said, you know, they've run into that kind of thing where the ghost doesn't react as though as you'd expect them to. And, and, you know, maybe thinks you're, you're something other than, than you are. Um, you know, but I've run into this time and time again where the, the ghost is afraid of us because we think they're haunting them. Uh, we, have a, we had a case in Connecticut. And we, we spend years on cases. There's one in Connecticut we've been working on for 13 years. And it keeps getting bigger because it's, it's a flap area, as we call it. I mean, if you want to get into that, too, we can do that. But it's just... Um, uh, it's, it's these things are not what they appear to be, at least in our experience. So, what's a flap area? Well, okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I should have explained. That's an area of uh, of recurrent paranormal activity of over a wide area of of many different kinds that are traditionally not related to each other. In other words, you have a, a lots of ghost activity. You have UFOs. Uh, you have uh, Bigfoot or other cryptids, uh, other things of this kind, uh, changes in public changes in behavior, things, things of that type. Uh, of course, the mother of all these flap areas, you might say, is the, the Ohio Valley <clears throat> where the Mothman incidents occurred in the 1960s. I'm sure everybody who's listening probably knows what that is, but just in case. Uh, in right. 19, 1966, November 66, there, there was a, began to be sightings of this, uh, what the, the press later called Mothman, a huge, uh, actually was a rather human, muscular, human-like figure with bat-like wings. Uh, 
the first encounter by the the two couples, uh, the Scarberries and, and the Mallets, uh, which is you know well documented in the literature, uh, is often not well known. Uh, they, they thought that they saw this uh, creature following their car and all this, but what they really saw was this this creature with its wings stuck in, in, in like a fence along the road and turned oh. up in their headlights, and um, it, it seemed to be terrified of them, and it got free and ran. If I had wings, I'd fly if I was terrified, but uh, ran into the uh, the area, the TNT area, one of the buildings and this sort of thing. And this thus began, and it did uh, was reported to have followed them at up to 100 miles an hour flying over their car. And the police even found damage uh, to the, do- each, the doors on each side of the car where they said the wings had, had hit as it flew. And uh, hundreds of people ended up seeing this. It, it was seen before this in another part of... Uh, the, uh, West Virginia, uh, and and uh, this sort of thing about 80 miles away. But uh, this, of course, was well-documented, and uh, John Keel came to the fore, a journalist from New York who uh, came down and, and uh, investigated all this stuff, men in black. But what you often don't hear, and we heard this from witnesses ourselves when, when Ben and I were there in 2003, uh, that uh, there were uh, many other things that occurred along with this Mothman sighting. Uh, nightly UFOs. Uh, people would go out to a certain area near the TNT area, so-called, so-called because it had been uh, ordnance manufactured during World War II and was now derelict, and they'd see these these strange lights in the sky, uh, which would sometimes respond to lights from the ground. Uh, there were the men in black, so-called. Uh, there was an increase in psychic abilities among many people. Uh, there were red eyes looking in windows, uh, people hearing footsteps on their roofs. There was poltergeist activity. Uh, you pr- pretty much name it, and and this is going on. So, so what a flap area! This is a flap area, and uh, the term flap is is used often in connection with UFOs. You know, lots and lots of UFOs being seen. But we find that the flap area, uh, the one in Connecticut that we call the Litchfield Triangle, uh, now includes about 320 square miles, uh, reaching over into the Hudson Valley of New York, and it's an arbitrary, uh, I think, uh, distinction because you know how do you how do you know where uh, this area begins and where it ends and what phenomena are related to what. But you have to start somewhere as, as a research tool. So uh, we have um, right. uh, a lot of questions. But well, how do you, Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to interject. Um, so I think I was, I grew up in a flap area because I was in Pittsburgh, which uh, a town called Avalon, which was heading north uh, on the Ohio. So heading towards where, Mothman was, Mothman ter- territory. So in 66, oh, we had a sighting of the Mothman, but we weren't aware of the Mothman. <laughs> mm-hmm. We were just uh, kids out on the, you know, we have a, a local uh, swimming pool and park, and we were all hanging around the park, and suddenly, and now I didn't personally see it, but I was there when everybody was running around and chasing it. Like, did you see it? Did you see it? And it, it just went up to the north side of the park. And so we would run up there. We're running around like crazy. And finally, the local um, newspaper came down with the press and they took all our pictures. And, and then apparently it was seen just uh, flying away. So, so that's just some verification. But years later, I thought I had made it all up. It's like, no, there was no flying being with the <laughs> you know and then the book came out the movie came out like oh thanks thanks but yeah. um have you ever heard of the pittsburgh tri-state area being a flap area because i would see um ufos all over the place in my childhood uh, different configurations of yeah. large orbs and the uh, cigar-shaped craft and you know traditional scape what do you know about the tri-state area pittsburgh west virginia and ohio 
Well, don't and look back. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but that, that is our biggest case right now. Uh, as really? Would have it. Yes, uh, we're headed out there again in May. We've been working, but it's a new case. We've only been working on it since 2016. And we have, uh, we, uh, this is centered in the Dubois area. Okay. Okay, uh, yes. All right. And uh, it's kind of fanning out from there. Uh, we have, it's, it's a really long story, but uh, we have had, we have neighborhood meetings there at least once a year. And we've had, we have up to 35 people who show up at these things and uh, every one of them has had bigfoot sightings and strange lights uh in proximity as well i myself saw bigfoot there on september 16th 2016 and you could have knocked me over with a feather i was looking for something entirely different uh in may of 16 our first trip and uh ben was wasn't able to come but shane searway somebody you ought to have on your show uh oh. shane is from new hampshire and oh, he's say um, it again uh, shane, shane. Searway. Shane Searway, trueghost.com. And uh, he's uh, one of the most feet-on-the-ground investigators I've ever worked with, one of the few I will work with. Uh, and he's also uh, got experience as a Blackfoot shaman, which is a very good combination, you know, good researcher and, and, and that kind of spiritual background. Uh, mm -hmm. In May, he had a Bigfoot sighting in broad daylight, and then I had another one, of course, that same year in September. And uh, <clears throat> the... the um, we had uh, obtained a number of photos of strange lights uh, in the sky and a lovely field there at the sort of the, the top of the uh, immediate uh, track that we were beginning with. And um, I was looking for that. I had my camera set up for that. And all of a sudden I looked to the right and there was in the brilliant moonlight of that Friday evening, a huge hairy figure. I remember the huge legs and knees moving up and down as it walked very slowly. Its head was bowed as if looking for something in the grass, tall grass. Um, I was very surprised at my own reaction. Now, before I, I wonder if paranormal phenomena, maybe we respond to them according to what we bring to them. In other words, whenever I go to an area like this, I always um, put myself in again in the meditative state express respect for the powers of nature that, that are there and um, I go in with that very positive and open attitude and maybe that's why I felt privileged I did not feel threatened at all this is about 200 feet away and uh, the only problem was that um, in the middle of the sighting my wife called uh, now gee Paul why don't you turn off the phone but I was a little new to this Bigfoot stuff so I, I got out of my truck <laughs> and uh, I, I, I took a picture through the uh, that that window was closed and it was cold that night so obviously the infrared camera there's no signature so i didn't get anything and i guess get out very slowly and the all of a sudden my ringtone the theme from lord of the rings goes blasting out over this field and <laughs> said, actually the thing's gone um i said i'm in the middle of a bigfoot sighting he said what he's gonna call me in the middle of a field in the middle of the night so it was her closest i ever came mm -hmm. to divorce so in any case uh that was not <laughs> the end of it um, a few minutes later, some whites appeared in a tree on the other side of the field, and they didn't look like UFOs or anything weird. It looked like somebody was on the ground with a with a spotlight. So I didn't want to go taking off across the field. I don't know if there's some yawning chasm was going to swallow my truck or what. So the next night we had our um, uh, actually the next morning Shane and I went out and uh, we, we we sort of reenacted the whole thing. And uh, we found a, a long trail from the woods up to the middle of the field uh, of some large creature on two legs. And then it just disappeared. Apparently, it turned around and went back or whatever, apparently, when my wife called. So 
uh, we did document that. But that night at the neighborhood meeting, uh, I described this experience and a hand went up and it was a woman named Melissa. And she said she and her son, that was she and her son with the lights. These people are used oh. to this. So mm-hmm. she, she came home with her son. Uh, they heard something huge moving through that field while I was seeing it and came up with their lights to see if anything was, of course, it was gone by then. So that, if that's what it appears to be, it's corroborative evidence that, that uh, maybe I did see something uh, there. So that's only the beginning on that case. Uh, and we're, we're going to be back with a lot with, with a team. We have an informal, we don't have any organization, we have an informal team that includes um, Shane, of course, uh, obviously Ben, and uh, Mark D'Antonio, who is well-known from MUFON circles. Uh, he's on TV a lot. And um, Chuck Credo from Maine, who does the uh, Galileo interviews brilliant interviewer and uh, also uh, alexander petikoff who uh, many of these people will, will be speaking at the event in oh uh, yes filer's event Talk yeah alexander. warwick yeah and um again these are all great people to have on your show also um laurie greer wow. a uh, p- producer for our show and a behavioral scientist who is uh, very good with the witnesses so it's it's a good rounded out group it's not formal and um i think we're going toward an interesting tv production here Sounds great. Now, did you receive any kind of telepathic impressions or communication from Bigfoot when he was in your proximity? Uh, no, I, I did. It was just a feeling of complete peace. That's all I can, and, and just peace. Was that coming from yourself or like an Because a lot of like the grays will send you peace and relax and chill, do you yeah. think? That might be something coming from the big put that you wouldn't reaction have a negative reaction to his presence. That that's perhaps true, but you know, <clears throat> but you know, Janet, what it reminded me of <clears throat> were similar feelings to what I had from in this noble bear thing so many years before. It, it, <clears throat> it wasn't the same, but it was it was similar. Mm-hmm. There was a sense of goodness, you know. Um, I, it, but just to in contrast to this, a little girl, uh, 12 years old, was on the road just below this site, had a Bigfoot sighting, uh, not at the same time, that this is about a year later, uh, and uh, <clears throat> was uh, utterly terrified by it. Uh, to this day, she won't talk to us. She has come to one or two of the neighborhood meetings, but usually ends up crying, and her parents have to take her up. And I hope by the time she grows up, she'll talk to us. Because you get these, you know, these weird guys from New England with beards, and maybe that's it. I don't know, but but she just. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's uh, I, I'm struck by the contrast uh, that some people have positive sightings, some people have have very uh, bad encounters. Um, just to go back to Mothman for a moment, for a moment, I think of Andy Colvin. Uh, who's a writer on this subject, and and others, uh, one, one other we, we encountered in West Virginia, in Point Pleasant, in uh, Parkersburg, I should say, <clears throat> in 2003, who said they had had very positive experiences with Mothman. You know, so again, the same thing, you wonder if, if what you bring to it uh, was what you take away from it. Uh, this uh, Andy himself claims that, that when he, he and his family had a sighting, all of a sudden his math uh, improved by, you know, 10, power of 10, uh, he became uh, wow. and this sort of thing, and he he credits Mothman with that. Another person we spoke with there, uh, similar thing. He had a very positive experience, and he believes that his health improved because of his encounter with Mothman, who was generally considered to be really, really scary and evil. Maybe not. Maybe it's what we bring to it. So again, there well, we let's go. look 
at that for just a moment. I want to break that down because that's a very interesting concept because, uh, you know, we have this whole paranormal phenomenon from, you know, encounters with Mothman and Bigfoot all the way up to, you know, abductions and that some people call it abduction, some people call it contact, and some people call it experiencer. So even people, what they, uh, you know, tend to label their experiences. So that is a good question. I'm going to bring Dr. Lexon into this as well. What part of it is the person and what they're bringing to the table? Um what part of it is like uh, we've uh, uncovered with the grays. They sometimes uh, the person starts with a negative experience and they uh, show their big eyes or they, they, they touch them or they do something. And next thing you know, they're peaceful and calm. Is it some kind of coming from the direction of the, the, the encounter, the being or the, you know, whatever you're encountering, maybe as a protection mechanism, it calms you down into a, you know, calm state. And, and then like, what is your, so, yeah, what is yourself? And yeah, uh, let me ask Sasha that. Go ahead, Sasha. What would you like to say about what we're talking about so far? Well, it's, it's, it, I, well one thing is you, you needn't come from uh, uh, polarity. You can just start with uh, with, with the idea that uh, the fractal of all that is is within you, and those uh, uh, fractals which become salient to you indicate that it's time for you uh, to really uh, uh, understand. Understand uh, what it is that's being signaled. What parts, what seems to be you and not you, are ready to uh, recognize themselves and transcend. So it's so it's wonderful. And and same with anything that comes to you. So like, uh, imagine if you would a, a parallel universe, uh, uh, another life, another space, or uh, simultaneous with the one you had now. One that was just had a lesson for you that was so cool you and just imagine you go there and and get a sense of that place and if that place that you're imagining whatever imagining is that you that the place that you go to uh what could speak to you what is the essence of what it would communicate and just think about that for a little while and you'll get a taste this is all there for all of us just pay attention to what's within and the gestalt that emerges will be perfect for your evolution and that of the universe i hope Right. So, yeah, it's kind of like the law of attraction and action. So back to you, Paul. So you're you're having these experiences, people having varied experiences. Um, you know, what level does that even, wh how are you, are you pulling those experiences in for your greater experience as a, as a humanoid being, you know, having an yeah. existence? You know, what do you think about all that? Yeah. Well, again, I think uh, Sasha has really uh, expressed it well. Uh, we, we have to get to know each other better, Sasha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, the uh, I might bring in the term quantum entanglement, but you know, that's it's all the terms are terms, and the experience is uh, the same. I think, um, and, and th this gets into uh, I don't know. I, I have trouble talking about these exorcisms I did, but uh, every, everything from from the that to the, the two girls at Mount Ida College, uh, the island theory, uh, I think is is really what when I when I started to try and move beyond the old ideas, I had to start to reject what I call the island theory that all of us and all, everything about us is contained within our bodies, within our brains, and uh, which is why. Physical science will reject or at least be very skeptical about the idea of uh, ESP, extrasensory perception, the old term that my old friend, the uh, Louisa Ryan, used to. Um, are we taking a break? No. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> weird noises. Not yet. I know. It's okay. Through my phone. Well, just stop me when off. we do. Um, 
Yes, I will. But I think that, uh, again, uh, sharing uh, identities and, and a sort of a completely uh, unified picture is, is what we're dealing with. Um, in the exorcism case, I'm uh, thinking of the, particularly the, it was a young girl named Barbara in the 1973, and I was still wet behind the ears with this stuff. I just got the impression that this thing, first of all, was not what the theology said it was. It was using that against us, I think. Uh, but she was bond, had bonded with this parasite that folklore would call a demon, and that they fulfilled that, that role. And uh, I think that, that looking back on it, what had happened was that they, that, that the parasite had found um, the point in the multiverse where he, and it was a male force, was Barbara. And Barbara responded to that because of the shared identity. And this is wild stuff, but I think it, it, it is uh, kind of up what the alley of what uh, Sasha was saying, in a sense. But there's nothing positive about it. But, but there are plenty of positive uh, things, too, that happen. That's why I ask people at times when they're, they're so terrified in a parasite case. And the parasites do come in and they will, will feed upon your uh, energy and, and you end up with you know chronic fatigue syndrome and all this. But I tell them to call upon their ancestors, uh, who are really, who again, time all being simultaneous, are not dead. Nobody's dead. The only thing that's not possible in the multiverse is death, and and they will they will sometimes respond if they're in worlds where the laws of physics are such that they are aware of us, such as Gilbert was of me in Ontario and whatever world he was in uh, that time in '73, uh, and um, that was. Um, uh, I think that's essentially what it is. I think it's really quite simple and quite elegant, and it gets into very uh, interesting ideas about what we really are. So I think that yeah, they- you know, I, I, this is so beyond all that. You're modeling their each person's inner exorcist, so they walk away from the experience with you inside of them, the the ability to exorcise parasites. Well, essentially, yeah, people have to, you know, you know, and I'm sure you've run into this a million times, Sasha, people uh, who are maybe our vintage, you know, they're having a problem, they, they want you to come in and fix it, you know, and uh, I'll go in and say, and Shane will say, or Ben will say, you know, you have to fix it, you know, you know, in other words, so how long has this been going on? Well, four years, well, what changed in your life four years ago? That, 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 that perhaps is feeding this or there's bringing on something negative like this. Uh, because really, I think in the sense, particularly of parasites, it's not places that are haunted, it's people, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you know, that, that's a whole different subject. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, people really do have to take the bull by the horns and, and uh, ultimately we're responsible for our, <clears throat> making our own bed in the multiverse and in our own lives and whatever world we're in, whether it comes to the paranormal or not. Personal responsibility is everywhere. Right. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, uh, just in terms of uh, personal usage, you know, uh, I can talk to uh, my father or, or my teacher, Angelus Arian, uh, people that have passed over, and I hear their voices and their wisdom comes to me so clearly. And it doesn't matter what the ontological status of the experience is. I feel uplifted and, uh, and learned, and uh, it feels groovy. Yeah, grew away. You must be my age. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. I, I get that. You know. Um, although you know, I, I I tend to be 
very skeptical, particularly when I was having these experiences with contact with these, you know, is this really what it says it is? But but the, the, when you have an overwhelming conviction that, uh, you know, it's a sincere experience and, and what you're talking to really is what it says it is, uh, then, and again, you know, I, we're all, I always warn against this, which is why I've been hesitant to write about it until now, but you know how it is, Alex, when you get to a certain age, you realize if you don't tell the story now, you, know, you never know if you're going to be able to, so. Right. You know, there you go. So, you know, we've dealt, we, we do um, therapy with people and we've dealt with exorcisms and, you know, attachments and demons and, and people can go everywhere we can tarry with them. And so it's very interesting that you're, you, you dealt with it because of your training. But, uh, oh, and that's our break. We'll be back in five minutes. See you in five. will give you those truths so when you're mad as hell and not going to take it anymore from that memorable scene in network you'll know just what to do we will draw you in and become your news addiction at event horizons join us monday through friday from 10 a.m to noon eastern time at freedomslips.com at revolution radio our world team members are Dennis Fetcho, John Ilias, David Dunger, Hila Cass, MD, Melanie Richton, Jim Mars, Paula Harris, John Trallo, Maria Payan, Christopher Husser, DODDS, Jonathan Orchard, and me, your anchor, Dr. Robin Falco. If uh, you decide not to volunteer, it will not be held against you in any way. Sounds dangerous. It is. Very dangerous. Count me in. That's right here. Revolution Radio. Freedomslips.com. Where information never sleeps. Is your data safe? Do you have the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation? Is survival and gardening, off-grid living, medical knowledge, or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns? Do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is? Well, check out our preloaded EMP-proof thumb drive. 
Over three gigs of survival documents and how-tos. Plus, the USDA offline food preservation website and much, much more, including a surprise bonus we just can't tell you about here. With plenty of room left over to store your most important documents. Imagine if a mega virus or a computer failure took out your bank, or all the banks for that matter. Are your banking records safe in your hands so when they get things fixed and repaired, you can say, hey, look, this is what I had. You have it. I want it back. Is your personal data safe? Family records? Addresses? Phone numbers? Well, squeeze on over to freedomslips.com. Yes, that's www.freedomslips.com. Click the banner on the homepage for the EMP proof bullet drive to get the full scoop of everything that we offer. So, folks, keep your data safe for your peace of mind. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. In breaking news, a visiting Syrian diplomat reported today that their population is evolving rapidly and advancing into a fifth-dimensional consciousness. They are seeking peace with all cosmic cultures, which may mean that the Earth will be asked to join the prestigious Galactic Federation of Light Alliances. Please join Debbie West and Michael Hathaway on Lost Knowledge, Saturdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in Studio A, for the latest breaking news on the Star Visitors' peaceful contact and the ongoing project of cleansing the Earth. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning! Warning! We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings! Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to win the change of the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right, you tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio!
every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Studio B for Momentary Zen with host Zen Garcia at freedomsteps.com, the people station. How healthy are your arteries? Deteriorating circulation has a number of early warning signs. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, fingers and or toes often go cold, arms and or legs often go to sleep, sharp diagonal crease in the earlobe, short walks cause cramping or pains in legs, memory is not as good as it used to be, ankles swell late in the day, chest pain after physical exercise or emotional stress. If you experience even one of these symptoms, your circulatory system is crying out for attention. Extendivite is a natural solution to help improve your overall health. Extendivite is not your average heart tonic. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com or find us on Amazon. Extend your life with Extendivite. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Aloha and welcome back to the Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio at revolution.radio. And I'm your host, Janet Carolison, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, producer Thomas Becker, and our guest today is Paul Eno. And I wanted to mention to everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and do make your donation this week because we really appreciate your donation and that's what helps keeps us all on the air here. And... Um, Mad painter Thomas Becker, how are we doing on our fundraising? What's our goal? Well, we, how far do we have to go? We need twenty five fifty, and we got twenty eighty nine. That leaves four sixty one, and uh, we still have that uh, special for one hundred and sixty dollars in the continental U.S. We'll send you five ounce silver bar, and remember to put your name in there, or we'll keep the money and the silver. <laughs> Can they get it if they're outside of the continental U.S.? Like, uh, I believe you'd have to get a hold of Hawk, but I think it's just add an extra $10 to it for shipping. For shipping. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, great. So, uh, I want to get back to the 1973 exorcism that Paul was beginning to discuss before we came upon our commercial break. Dr. Lesson, do you have anything to add or any direction you want to go the next hour of the show? Uh, uh, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, basically, uh, the, the basically we have a model, uh, uh, Paul, with you as as our hero, of how to break uh, to to expand, take what's good in the matrix, and yet uh, transcend it, and be able to access all the possibilities uh, and see which ones are most salient for you and. Uh, the whole rest of the ball of wax. So uh, I, I look forward to exploring your model because it's beautiful. Yeah. And I wanted to add before I go back to you, Paul, 
I'm watching a show called the AO, no, the OA, OA, and it's it's exactly what you're talking about, the multidimensional nature of existence, and and in the show, these characters die, and they just immediately go on to another form. Really? Like they're, oh yeah, it's, I recommended yeah. it. Never heard it's, of it. It's on the second season, it's OA, it's a very strange OA. show, but it's, it's very progressive, and uh, yeah, I've been looking for what's really going on because, like you, I've had this whole life full of paranormal phenomenon. So you're you're making a lot of sense for me. So, oh, um, good. I, yeah, I hope so. And, and what is that? Netflix or something? Uh, it's on ne- Netflix. Netflix. It's A O A O A. O A. Okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. OA. Thank you. Okay. And of course, they they get the government in it, and the government knows about all this and that type of thing. But uh, very interesting. It's a mystery within a mystery within a mystery. So, um, so you were talking about. I don't know if I, I left off at the right spot, but it's something about the exorcisms, and I think you had some more to contribute. What you were talking about, the exorcisms. Well, uh, yeah, I, I know. It, it's, um, I, I should emphasize I was not performing these. I was just assisting a priest, so I witnessed okay. that. I didn't really do anything uh, <clears throat> except that. Uh, but it was very interesting. Uh, the The first one, and again, this is October of 73, the first one I was uh, invited to. Um, and, of course, we sort of did this mating dance, you know, Father Lawrence and myself, because he we hadn't known each other previously, but, but word got to him that I had been working with Ed Lorraine Warren for about a year, and he knew I was interested in the subject, so he lived at the seminary, although he didn't teach. And I'd see him in, in, in the you know in the hallway, and I said, Who, "Who's this guy?" You know. So uh, I found um, out after he called me to his his room, and it turned out he was the diocesan exorcist. Now this is again all very hush hush, but every diocese or regional division of the church headed by a bishop uh, it has or is supposed to have and someone who's trained in the paranormal, or at least their very narrow interpretation of it, and um, will approach exorcism, you know, if, if necessary, uh, before, uh, you know, while this, if, if it comes up, which it usually does. Uh, so he, um, we, we had a number of meetings, and he said, have you ever assisted in that, at an exorcism? I said, well, Ed Warren has told me about it, and, and probably some recordings, but I, I've never actually done it. So he um, off. I went with him to the uh, St. Lawrence State Hospital, where he was he was the Catholic chaplain, and that was the the scene, the background of what was going on. So this barber was seventeen years old. Um, there would be things, uh, you know, her drawers would open at night, and her Roman stuff would fly out. Uh, something would pull covers off her bed. There'd be strange sounds, you know, pounding on the outside window in the wall of the second floor room. And uh, finally, they got her. The, the other patients uh, who she was sharing the room with, there were three others. They they put her in a private room, and, uh, and there were a number of things that uh, you look for in this case. And so, uh, in her case, uh, you know, when the things are happening outside the control of the patient, uh, in other words, if they're they're schizophrenic and they're they're hearing voices, I mean that's one thing. But if stuff's flying off shelves on the other side of the room, obviously. Uh, no um, uh, psychiatric condition is going to explain that happening in the normal sense. Um, things happening again outside. So that was going on. And so a push came to shove, and Father Lawrence decided that she needed to be exercised. Now, in the Roman Catholic tradition, that is very formal and institutionalized. He had to get permission of the bishop, convince uh, Bishop, uh, who at the time was Stanislaus Brzezana, native of Poland, Bishop of Augsburg, that these things had to um, 
this had to be done, and the bishop usually uh, you know knew knew him very well and and uh, agreed. Uh, because of her age, her mother had to sign for this. Uh, of course, uh, the mother was an alcoholic and not in very much better shape than Barbara was, <clears throat> and. Uh, the child had been abused and uh, and everything else. There are all sorts of things that go with this that are very unpleasant. It was a drug addiction, <clears throat> this sort of thing. Um, every, and I can't emphasize this enough, every medical and psychiatric avenue must be exhausted before deciding on anything paranormal uh, or any sort of exorcism being needed. This was all done in her case. So <clears throat> we arrived... Um, at uh, three, and uh, we're three days in a row. We did this, but the, the exorcism prayer itself uh, in the Roman Catholic, the Roman ritual, is very complicated. Uh, there is one point at which the uh, demon, quote unquote, is commanded to say its name. Okay, and I was, I, I thought, you know, wh why do they do this, and wh why, why would they believe what it says? Okay, <clears throat> now the girl had said that its name was Chow. C-H-A-L-L -L is how we re we rendered it. and um, But f I, I said to Father, you know, well, how, how can you believe these things? He said, well, you know, they're compelled by the power of Christ, uh, you know, the authority of Christ to, to not to lie. So, all right. Um, because twice in the Gospels, two places, Jesus commands the thing to give its name, and then, you know, legion in the case of the gathering demoniac and all this. Uh, <clears throat> these things, are, there are biblical precedents for it, which is why they do it. Uh, there are a number of um, uh, litanies that occur. These are uh, naming uh, various saints. Uh, this is done at several services. And there are three actual exorcism prayers where the priest commands the quote-unquote demon to come out of the person. All right. <clears throat> my first impressions, during, and I had not yet learned to pay attention to my gut instincts here, something was wrong. You know, uh, I got the impression by the time this was over that this was a parasitical entity, and I really hadn't developed that concept yet, and that it was it was using us. the uh, The nature of the of the uh, Roman Catholic ritual is to uh, command, to express authority. Uh, everybody, um, people people are told to remain calm, but you can't help but kind of get a little excited. And this thing, it's was feeding on this, in my opinion. To the point where during um, the second exorcism, the third exorcism prayer that we did over the, on the third day, and this was very quick. Uh, I guess Father Lawrence was very good at this because <laughs> exorcisms have been known to take weeks, even months. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, during the the command to say its name, um, it a voice came out of her that was vaguely female although the thing felt male to me, and said, Chow, you know, in a very weird voice that I would not want to hear again. Um, I didn't say anything. I was standing on the side of her. There was a guy named Leonard who was another attendant, and we had to hold her down. She kept floating out of the wheelchair, and, like, we had to push her down. And finally, the third time, she was tied. And uh, at this one point, it said, in a, I said, it said, Chow, I said, in my mind, not out loud, yeah, right, you know, because I didn't believe it. It comes out with the same voice and said in a language that we later found out was Malay, like from Asia, Malaysia. The doctor had to look it up, but he was recording this, I, 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 so that's how he got it. And it was directed at me. They didn't want to tell me 
when they finally translated it, what it said. Uh, right before my graduation in the, seven, the following year in 74, I, I should say this was in 75, Father, um, May of 75, Father Lawrence sat me down and we had a very prayerful conversation and he said, I don't feel right not telling you what this thing said. And it, said, it was a reference to my father's suicide. You can imagine this is difficult to talk about. As if the right. thing were there. And it, it hit me. I, I became all cold all over. And, and I thought he was going to advise me to get out of this. But he had confidence in me. And maybe he thought I would be ordained someday and be an exorcist in some diocese someplace. And he said, if you're going to stay with this ministry, you have to get used to this sort of thing. You know, and you have to deal with it. So it, it, it was just like I, I was like frozen right on the spot because this this alien thing, and I can think of no better word to describe these things as, than alien. Uh, their presence is dirty, different, absolutely other. So this alien thing was there when I was seven years old, standing over the body of my father. I mean, what was going on here, you know? Wow. And, I still don't don't necessarily believe that that's what happened, but again, because of, as Sasha and I've been talking about the uh, the sort of, sort of the unity with a capital U across the whole biosphere and across the whole multiverse, there is awareness, and these parasites are very good at picking up where they are in parallel worlds where they really were there, so to speak. So um, I carried on from there. It uh, again was I think in a way kind of confirmed. The belief that this the exorcism process aids rather than um, aids the parasite rather than what the ritual calls the sick person, uh, because within three years Barbara had died of a drug overdose. Uh, she did seem to get better initially, but th I, I heard later on that he had to go back. There were there were seven different people of various ages who were exorcised by our little team there, and um, Father Lawrence had to go back and do some others again. And I just think these things are not what they appear to be, and this ritual does not always do what it says it what's what's advertised, you know. And I think again, it was a deeper picture of the thing using it to feed upon us and, and pretending to uh, agree with our theology in order to get us to keep going. And um, I think that that's that's essentially how they eat because they're they're living creatures. I mean, in the Bridgeport case of 1974. Um, I, I was in this house. The Warrens weren't there. They were out doing some TV show. I was trying to protect this little girl from one of these things. Uh, there were four entities who, that we thought were demons. But this thing had a physical body because I, I instinctively pushed against it at one point. I could feel a physical structure. I could feel skeletal structure. It was almost like a bird. That was another moment when, which was so terrifying because it shattered my belief system. It then got... I was disarmed so to speak psychologically it got around me and threw the little girl across the room and it was just it, again another moment where i said these old ideas just don't do it so uh, again back to square one so um uh i i, I just again uh, i was a very annoying questioner in the seminary and this sort of was the the one that sort of took the cake because it, uh, these are matters that affected people's lives and we you know one more interesting thing i'll say before uh, I finish on that subject, is that, um, I, and I didn't remember this until last year when I was finishing, because th this constitutes the first chapter of my book that's coming out in August, and I had to look back through old notes that I had. I, I worked very hard to bury a lot of these memories, 
and I hated writing this book. But the old notes that I dug out had had something I had totally forgotten, and that that five of the seven people we were working on with the exorcisms at the state hospital had had UFO experiences, and including encounters and possible abductions. Now I brought this up to uh, to Father Lawrence, and he said, "Well, you know, don't pay any attention to that." And he said, "Essentially, he said in a very kind way, these people are essentially." inmates at a state hospital they're officially bonkers anyway so i wouldn't pay attention to any of this stuff but i wish we had because it indicated uh, sort of a um the the crossover phenomena that we run into so often today and uh very often uh, people of the, of the caliber of kathy martin or denise stoner will call and and say well you know we have a case where abductions are taking place but there's also poltergeist phenomena people are having uh, quote-unquote demonic activity take place uh, can you, what are your thoughts on this? So uh, it's becoming more recognized today, but in those days, um, it really took me by surprise. Well, it's fascinating. Well, we're noticing the same thing. There's a lot of crossover. Yeah. When we interview people, you know, like yourself and a lot of experiencers, contactees and, uh, you know, my, myself, I've had all, all the above, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beyond random probability. It's like, well, how did I happen to have, you know, abductions and uh, it was part of the Mothman thing and, and it, it just keeps going on and on. And I think, well, that's just weird. That can't possibly happen to one person. But then I find out my story is similar to many others. It's like Very true. having all these things going on. And I'm really curious because you've been doing this research about as long as I have, although mine wasn't as structured. Mine was just like, I'm, I'm having these experiences. Then I start talking with other people who are willing to talk. Most people will not discuss this until, you know, this recent age, people are starting to get more and more comfortable with it, or at least they're, you know, it's like, I can't just keep this quiet. I need some answers. So I I appreciate your research. I mean, you're really bringing a lot to the table here. And I'm sure when we get done with this interview, we're going to have more questions than we have answers because it's just it's like yeah. opening the Pandora's box and the and the um, Russian dolls, right? <laughs> Nested yeah, pretty much in each other. Um, Sasha, do you have any comments or questions before we continue? Because this is mind-boggling. Uh, yeah, the, the time has said the time has said the walrus said to speak of many things of, <laughs> of philosophy and cosmology and uh, how things fit in strings yes good very true good old lewis carroll got it right right so so you I, I need more pieces of your puzzle i guess so you're you're going through this you're writing a book and you've written some books but this is going to be focused on this what is the name of your book i'm going to go well that it's, up again. It's, uh, dancing Dancing something on the graves. What is it? Oh, good heavens! Well, d- dancing past the graveyard, uh, poltergeists, yes. parasites, parallel worlds, and God. It's not all about exorcism, you know. It's it's a lot of different- no, it isn't. Yeah, right. And those are I'm interested in all of the above. Yes. So, and because I think they're like you're you're concluding. There's a connection. There's a definitely a connection. And I'm aware of my multidimensional existence simultaneously existing in many realms, planets. You know, I I, I have these vivid dreams, which are, where you know that's not a dream. I have friends that correlate, and they go, "This happened to me too." So we have shared experiences. So if you na- if you name it, it's happened to me and to people I know. So what is going on here? Are we in some kind of um, big experiment of 
consciousness or are we creating this ourselves or are we making it all up as we go along? Will well, we pop uh, out of this with awareness? One of the variations of these theories in physics is the, the holographic theory. And um, Sasha mentioned the matrix. That's actually a term used in, in that. And it's, uh, but I think, again, it's two different sides of the same coin, one kind of the multiverse and this sort of thing. And the holographic theory, the um, someone or something is essentially projecting the whole thing on, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, almost like a computer simulation, all our experiences. Uh, that's um, interesting. And the, but the the thing that's really interesting to me is that is that there is a um, a running theme through all of the I think the deeper thinkers in the paranormal about an, a coming unity and, and in theology as well uh, in the quantum um, multi well I should say in in the um, uh, holographic theory the idea is is that uh, everything will will eventually collapse into a unity uh, the the matrix will eventually collapse into a unity. Uh, that theme appears in uh, the multiverse as we approach it. Um, it appears in the theology of Teilhard de Chardin, who was a, a very forward-thinking and sometimes got in trouble uh, Roman Catholic theologian from the last century, uh, who said uh, talked about the, the eventual uh, collapse, uh, not collapse, but, but, but gradual unifying everything to the, uh, to the omega point, as he called it. Uh, the unifying of all things in the you know the the, the cosmic Christ you know whether you're Christian or not I and mean, that's those are his terms. Uh, in our opinion, you have a very uh, and uh, we've talked to some astronomers about this uh, possible uh, unification of various worlds and interaction uh, taking place more than has taken place in the past because of the astronomical and electromagnetic environment in the galactic neighborhood so to speak. And uh, astronomers will tell you this, that the, uh, about every 600 million years, the uh, supergalactic plane will flatten out. And uh, much, NASA took advantage of that in the, in the solar system by sending out various probes, you know, New Horizons and all this, because uh, all the planets were in line, like you'd see them on a map. Now, you know, when you're a kid in school, they have all the sun, all the planets light up. Well, that's not how they really are. They're all over the place within their orbits. But now they they have been uh, lined up in a plane, and uh, and makes the makes them easier to explore, and it also uh, opens up a lot of territory for a lot of strange uh, energies to go you know blasting around the galactic neighborhood. Um, rather disconcertingly, uh, the last time this happened, six hundred million years ago, you had the Cambrian extinction uh, event, and all of a sudden there were all these new species that came up seemingly out of nowhere. So. Uh, I don't know if that's going to occur, but in some parallel world where all possibilities exist, it probably is, or already has. So, uh, you know, these are all things we're aware of. But, um, yeah, I think uh, in, in the book, I use the term unity with a capital U. Um, there is a, 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 the idea that we're all connected uh, and maybe even coming toward this unity is present really everywhere. In the, the, the ancient African idea of Ubuntu, which is simple and brilliant. Uh, everything I do affects you, everything you do affects me, everything we do affects the worlds. Right? Uh, it's present in Hinduism, it's present, and certainly the Baha'is have it. They don't have a very long tradition, but I think they pretty much get it right. It's present in Christianity, it's present in traditions that go back 30,000 to 150,000 years. In researching the, uh, the history of the paranormal uh, 
stuff that we have in a couple of my books, there's the idea that um, uh, the paranormal has been a tremendous influence on, on the human psyche and human history. Uh, if you look back at uh, the ancient traditions of the um, uh, Aborigines in Australia, and I actually spent, uh, I was in, in Australia in the line of duty, and uh, I spent the seven hours there waiting for extraction, uh, talking to uh, a little guy named Minda Louie, who was an Aboriginal elder. And uh, they usually don't talk to outside of me. He said, you, you have it right. That's what we shamans do. We go into parallel worlds, he said in so many words, and we bring back what's necessary. Everything he described was what a physicist would call collapsing the wave function. So all these wave functions may be collapsing and this unity may be being built. Uh, he said that in the beginning, he told me about the dream time, and uh, that's present in many, many cultures. If you look at the Andaman Islanders and the Nicobar Islanders of the Indian Ocean, uh, with a tradition that goes back uh, at least 50,000 years, uh, you find the same thing. As a matter of fact, in the 1930s, there was uh, a, a um, several, several archaeologists who were very shocked to come to the conclusion, and were almost reluctant to publish their findings, that people were not polytheists in the beginning. You know, we assume people were polytheistic worshippers of many gods and there were demons and all. And uh, as we came forward uh, into the uh, present uh, state of being such geniuses as we are, you know, you get, you get down maybe to one god or whatever. But actually, it seems that people started out as monotheists, worshippers of one god or a god family uh, of, a, of, a, of a female and a male and maybe a child that was half the time the traditions was us, um, th th then you get uh, a whole different picture th that later descended into polytheism and the worship of many gods, you know. Um, and, and I think this is um, a sign of, the, the, of a unity that was, that broke up, and that will eventually come back together again. Again, uh, reflecting everything maybe we've said about uh, stuff breaking up and coming back into union again. And uh, as uh, the worlds join, there are more paranormal experiences, maybe, uh, because that's what paranormal experiences are. Experiences of other dimensions, other realms, of uh, other kinds of physical laws, uh, other parallel worlds where other possibilities existed, you know, where a place where your loved one never died and therefore you see them skipping down the road two weeks after their funeral. All these things seem to be happening. Maybe it's maybe it was always happening, but we're we're so you know we have such instant communication and information flow today that we just know more about it. But whatever it's, it is, I, I really think it has it comes down to the parallel world idea, and the idea that we are learning that we're not just us. We're learning that uh, the paradoxes of the multiverse maybe are the spiritual keys to success. Uh, maybe. The idea that the island theory is wrong and that we should forget ourselves in order to find ourselves, um, embrace humility, and therefore become great. Uh, these are all things that are implied by, by the multiverse, you know, uh, the paradoxes. So maybe it's the first day of school. Sorry to lecture. Wow. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I, it's yeah. really a lot of food for thought. Go ahead, sweetheart. Well, hey. It's interesting when one thinks of what is and what is not uh, at present. When I realize we're into a spurious dichotomy and that in reality everything is perfectly exactly the way it is now. In the perennial philosophy, we say, you know, it's it's all of 
from Leela uh, in the uh, uh, in sort of the incuit uh, types of play that make all the dichotomies and all is exactly as it should be right now. Just open up and, and dig it. And uh, if you are uh, at odds with the present circumstances, that just shows what parts within you you haven't accepted and integrated in it in as much as you might once you transcend it and see how it's part of a uh, false separation of what's really the same thing. That's my take, anyhow. Well, Sasha, I think it's another bullseye. Um, I think uh, if you were in the Coast Guard with me in the old days, you would have gotten a medal for that. Uh, I, I think w what's really happening here is, um, and this comes up in some of the deepest explanations about God. And we get in, I get into this in the end of the, the this next book, but there people will come to me. Oh well, you know. Um, this, this is evil, or that's it. There's so much evil in the world, the horror, you know, uh, God must be either non-existent or doesn't care or is bad. And so, well, not so fast. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a, what we used to call a cop-out, but if you look at the multiverse, what it really means, if you have, again, all these possibilities, every, everything that could possibly happen is real and to go back to what we you know if you learn in the seminary or or, or any kind of upbringing judeo-christian upbringing even muslim upbringing you would see okay, god created the universe out of uh, a, a love that could not be contained it had to express itself in, in this creation well if god's love is infinite wouldn't creation be infinite and if it's infinite it would involve every possibility everywhere every when to everybody and everything and if you look at yeah. that, yeah, if you look at that, <laughs> it's, it's, that would make it a perfect creation. Everything in complete balance in, in an elegant way. And, uh, it's, uh, what, what is, you know, like you have the combination of all colors. I can't remember if it's black and white. I should black or white, but it's one or the other. And it's, and it's black is the absorption of all colors. There you go. Uh, and white but, but it's a reflection. Yeah. And it's, uh, but again, it, it's it's a perfect combination. So maybe creation is perfect, and we are not aware enough yet to see it. Maybe we haven't reached that point in our revolution. I don't know. But just because you know everything's not made for our personal convenience, we say, "Aha, God is bad," or "God doesn't care," or "There is no God," or whatever. You know. And um, it's funny. I, I have stood at the deathbeds of four atheists, and uh, now I, I'm not saying I believe what I believe in. <laughs> What I was taught in the seminary, far from it, but uh, I, I do try to, I, I do believe in God very sincerely, uh, he, she, it, or them, uh, whatever you want to approach, but these atheists, uh, who were, were all good people, one of whom was a doctor, were all lucid, and they, they held my hand, and they asked about God, because they were terrified, and I said, look, just say thank you, and you'll never have to worry about anything oh. I'm a great believer in salvation through gratitude. And we, I think we could be very grateful if this is indeed the scenario that God has created a perfect universe and it's our job to become aware. And did they follow oh, your advice? It. Did they say thank you? They did. And they were, I wouldn't call them good deaths as, as it goes, but, but I think they kind of got an inkling of it. I could tell it in their eyes. Before their eyes closed, it, it was you know, it was really. Well, let me let me ask a couple. Just questions. as so beautiful. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, did you actually see them leave? Did you witness? Because a lot of times they'll they'll see things. You can see them seeing it. They have an awareness. Well, no, no, I, I can't say that I did. I just it was concentrating on them at at the moment. Uh, there was uh -huh. though. A very strange incident, and this is again was at St. Lawrence State Hospital. Uh, it wasn't an exorcism or anything, but there was a an old uh, Irish fellow, and there were a lot of people in this hospital. It was a state hospital, so uh, it wasn't all psychiatric patients, but people who maybe didn't have the money or weren't old enough for Medicare or whatever would, would you know have state aid and be in this hospital for medical reasons. Well, this fellow was um, paralyzed really from the neck down, and what happened was impossible. And the, one of the, there were two doctors, I said the doctor and two nurses and myself, uh, who were witnessing this. Uh, just before he, we don't even use the word past, we use the word translated. Just before mm -hmm. he, it's an ancient term. Just before he translated, he sat up with the most beautiful look in his eye. He couldn't sit up, he, you know, he was paralyzed. With the most beautiful look in his eye, he looked off into the distance and said, Abba, Ba. Now, Abba mm. Ba is, is Hebrew. It means, essentially, I translated it as, Daddy is coming. Absolutely. I, I'm choking up just thinking about watching this guy. You know, old Irish guy, he'd have been a blue-collar worker. I mean, how could he? He didn't know any Hebrew. You know? Right, yeah. Uh, but again, you know, uh, connecting with, perhaps, uh, where he is uh, in another world where he did it and and uh, but again it's it, it, the tough concept here is that we are already living all these lives and they're already part of our subconscious so i mean I, at least the way i see it, it wouldn't be as if you you know you you translate and all of a sudden you know you you become someone you're already someone else you know that that's how that's our experience anyway um there have been there's a case in the book too of um a, a guy who in this this was really confusing. This was the second time I'd done this. And it was Yonkers, New York. Now, now I have to say that when I graduated from, before I graduated from Wadhams Hall Seminary, um, I, I uh, decided that uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church was a little more authentic. So two of us in the, this never happened. You didn't have seminaries leaving the church. Excuse me. Uh, there were two of us in the class who became, joined the Eastern Orthodox Church. So, and as luck would have it, we were at the right academic level to continue into their graduate seminary. And, uh, you know, you still be ordained in, in a few years, you know, if they thought you were ready. They didn't ordain you en masse like the Roman Catholic Church does. But in any case, uh, in the weekends, we would fan out across the New greater New York area to, you know, uh, teach uh, church school classes or uh, do this or that or visit hospitals. Well, I was at one parish uh, in uh, Yonkers, um, their uh, Orthodox parish, and uh, all of a sudden, I saw one of my classmates pointing to me, and uh, this little uh, little lady with a good old Russian name of Luba came over to me and said, oh, that young man says you know about ghosts. And I could have killed him because the Orthodox <laughs> seminary faculty did not like this. They didn't like the Warrens, and I was keeping my head down. So he, he kind of smiled a little bit. He was a good friend of mine. And this, this turned out to be another attic thing. And they uh, assumed it was the ghost of the guy who committed suicide in the garage or whatever. And, you know, I suppose that's always possible, but I mean, I, I just didn't wasn't finding that. This one turned out to be a human who spoke relatively decent English like ours and started out with, a, he was in a church in Virginia and he couldn't get out. And he was convinced that that, that God was mad at him. 
and but but at the same time, he was saying how he was he was subsisting by eating food that was in the church kitchen, you know, downstairs. There was like a social hall. And so what if the guy's a ghost? What does he have to eat for? So as 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 time went by, this this took another three nights. The guy's memory changed as we spoke. Initially, he was afraid of me because he saw me as like this mist in in a, in a corner of the building by this pillar. And he 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 kept saying, "Are you a ghost?" I said, "No, I'm not." You know, get a grip. And um, but he said that he had this memory of being in a plane that sounded like it was about to crash. And uh, but but then uh, and he was mentioning Mohawk Airlines, which had gone out of existence a few years earlier, uh, in, in at least in our world, and all this stuff was going on. And he and he his memory changed as we spoke. Um, by the end of the conversation, he was the minister or the the priest at this Episcopal church, and was waiting for. And the, you could I could hear a huge wooden door opening, and and people coming in, and they were greeting each other. And then then the connection was broken. So. All of a sudden, he's stuck in this church, and he he was in trouble from the plane going down. And all of a sudden, he's the minister, or or the. I mean, what was this about? And again, yeah, this, what's this? This is nineteen seventy five, and I, I wasn't any you know less confused by this stuff than I had been when I met Gilbert, you know, a year or two before. So, I mean, it was mm-hmm. like um, again, th- this was really and again, and here's an attic in Yonkers, New York, and he's in Virginia. So I mean, again, uh, perhaps um, uh, he finally had the unity that that he needed to be where he already was. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. But it's just it, it really kind of rewrote the book for me. So, so this communication is something auditory, or is it in your mind's eye? Is it, well, I how hear is this telepathic? Yeah, I hear, it as, yeah. I hear it as words, and then I think in response. Now, again, very often uh, the the if if I the rare occasions I've done this, it's it's been nonverbal because there have been non-human, uh, but you know, perfectly benign or neutral entities that you just happen to, I guess, be, be um, where there are intersect points that people think are ghosts, you know, and uh, other times again they're afraid of me. There there have been several occasions where. Well, I have a whole section uh, in in the book on uh, what ghosts have to say about God, and impressions that I've gotten from this. There was um, uh, in Rhode Island, there was a na- apparently a native woman, and and the name I'm not. I had to look up some of the Algonquian language group words, but this was um, in Rhode Island, which would have been either the Narragansett or the Wampanoags. It was, it was kind of the border area, and um, said that her her name was Wessawonk, which actually means name. So I didn't really get very far with that. And uh, she, th- there was a certain amount of simpatico kind of feeling and communication that way. But it's generally verbal with me. And uh, I, I had trouble getting through the line. She didn't speak English. Uh, but I, I noted, I made notes of everything during the communication. And then this was outdoors in an archaeological big area. I was only there because, I, I, as luck would have it, I was vice chairman of the Historic District Zoning Commission of this town. And I had I got permission, I had connections at the Historical Society, I get permission to go in there anytime I wanted. You know, little did they know what I was really doing. So uh, th- th- there have been some very, very different communications. There were, um, I was uh, on a book tour in 2006 through the Imperial Valley of California, and I stopped to rest, and I ended up talking, speaking in a form of French, with uh, some children who said they lived with a goddess. And, and this went on and on and on. One started, I was in Sedona, of course, Arizona, 
and uh, mm-hmm. started in a dream, and I woke up and the communication continued. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, I, I haven't really done this very often, considering the, the amount of time I've worked in this field, but uh, everyone is different, and it, it just bespeaks a very different reality than we're used to dealing with. Fascinating. Um, so, do you? How do you get your cases? Do people contact you? How do you, you know, hear about them, and what ones do you decide to take? Well, at this point, uh, people come out of the woodwork. But I mean, you know, we are the, we have listeners. A lot of listeners in Australia, and uh, for some reason in Mexico, uh, they got interested in us because they were talking about the flying humanoids down there in the Monterey area. And uh, I've been told that uh, some of the people in Mexico, you know, will get together on Sundays in a group to listen to our show. And apparently they're fluent in English uh, or, you know, and, and they, they enjoy listening to it. Um, so we'll hear from there sometimes, and particularly Australia and different places. But, I mean, it's not like we can jump jump in our Gulf Stream and go zipping down there. Like, we don't have those resources. Right. So, you have to deal with things at a distance, which is difficult. And what's also very difficult is like the who you're going to call thing. We don't really trust an awful lot of people who are out there to deal with this stuff. Uh, Shane was such a treasure. We, we met in 1998 on a case in uh, Rhode Island here. And uh, we hadn't known each other from Adam. And the guy called in both of us separately. And um, we both started to discuss it. And we were in complete agreement about this. And I, and I was floored. I didn't think anybody else... You know, short of Jacques Vallée, would have this approach. And so we've been brothers ever since, and he works with us and even co-hosts our show, all the open line shows we do maybe once a month. And he's uh, he lives in New Hampshire, and uh, he's just got an amazing approach, and he, he approaches the parasite problem uh, as we do, and he has a, I, I'd call it, as long as the people cooperate, he's got a 100% success rate uh, if you approach it this way. So uh, Shane is really good, but um, we will... Um, if the case is in northern New England, we'll turn the case over to him. <clears throat> but as far like in Hawaii or, or someplace, you know, far away or Australia, we don't really know anyone right. uh, to, to do that with, you know, whom we would trust. Because, you know, very often, uh, and a lot of these people who are so famous from TV will go in and they'll make a pig's breakfast out of this case. And there, there have been times that Shane or, or, or all of us have had to go in and straighten it out. Because <clears throat> I think a lot of times people just don't get it. Uh, you know what they're dealing with and what they have to do, and uh, they just make a mess. Uh, one example was in the Boston area, and this is this is a number of years ago now. Ben and I went in, and I, I didn't have time, so Ben went back, and it was a, a ghost hunting group from Boston. You know, you know, good people, but they're going, oh, you know, listen to this EVP or oh, look at this energy video I got, and the poor woman who's suffering is sitting there with nobody paying attention. So Ben took care uh-huh. of that, and he went and and, and did a thing in. Um, and he found out exactly what it was um, after they were chasing around with all their silly gear that they didn't really understand. And uh, he, he took care of it, you know. And uh, it's not always that easy because people have to cooperate. But it, but it's about the people. It's not about the site. Uh, and that's how we approach it. So, uh, But the thing is, we, we don't have a lot of time because we will spend years on cases. Uh, the longest running one so far is we started in 2005. It's that Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, flap area, as we said. And uh, it was one of Ben's first cases. People uh, uh, get a big kick out of some of the early photos we had of him. He's a little 13 year old kid with, with the video camera and interviewing people and all that. So, uh, that and the haunted policeman of Vermont, those were her his first two cases. So, 
Also, both started in 2005. So, um, well, what what do you do when you go into a case like my, for example, my sister still has the family house, and the, the house seemed to be a interdimensional portal with all these beings, and I'd say some were extraterrestrial, some were um, discarnates, and some were you know we had no idea interdimensionals or archons or whatever they were. I mean, I saw greys and all kinds of entities, but, and there also appeared to be a portal, a portal going down to the underworld, to the um, inner earth. Now, what would you do if you were to come into a, a site, an area like that? Do well, you, as, as do you set as, up equipment, or what do you do? Well, as Ben would say, it's baby steps. Okay, now we don't use a lot of equipment. No, what we'll do is uh, we'll go in. Maybe sometimes just one of us. And we don't want to know what's happening. We don't want to, you know, they, they, if, you know with the first communication is they don't tell us anything, okay? We go in, and, and uh, maybe it's uh, just having done this for so long, but you know what to, what to look for. You know the energies you can pick up and this sort of thing. Uh, the, first thing the first thing we look for uh, is the possibility of infrasound, okay? We, we, we try to eliminate all uh, paranormal you know, all non-paranormal factors before even thinking about the paranormal, uh, because infrasound, which can, which is not discernible by the human ear, can can pick up, uh, can be caused by a, a faulty motor in your fan. It can be caused by a subwoofer on the stereo, and at, at like 450 megahertz, uh, which you can't hear, the human eyeball will start to vibrate, and you'll start to see things. Now, our question, because we, we've run into this many times. Uh, is um, that causing people to imagine paranormal phenomena, or is it cutting through brains, membranes, between parallel worlds, and things are manifesting? We've found possibilities for both. Uh, there's also black mold, which is a problem in areas that are very humid, uh, including New England here. Uh, black mold can cause uh, hallucinogenic experiences. Uh, many people don't even know they have it. So we, we try to eliminate all this stuff first. And when, once we've done that, we, we see what impressions we pick up and where we pick them up. And then we sit down with the people with a long questionnaire, uh, their medical history, uh, the history of the property. Not that that always means anything, uh, because it, what, what could be happening could be coming from, from what to us is the future, not necessarily even the past. You know, we run into that a lot of times. And and almost inevitably, I, I really I can't think of any occasion when this did not occur. We'll say, well, I got an impression in this room of this, 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 and this. I say, oh, you're right. That's not, it's not necessarily that we're doing the psychic thing, but I guess you could call it that. You're, we're being aware and we're picking up uh, impressions and energies that from experience or from past cases, uh, for many years, uh, you know, and for what that's worth. And uh, then then we'll take it from there. We'll immediately begin to work with the people. Uh, for example. Uh, in one case where there was a lot of negative activity, uh, uh, years ago I would have gone charging in with a cross and holy water. Uh, no, we don't necessarily do that because uh, you know it, it, you got a kid using a Ouija board. Okay, bad stuff. Why? Because it's a sledgehammer technique for knocking down membranes. You don't know what's going to come through, as John Keel would describe. You open the window in the window area, and who knows what's going to come through. And uh, so you deal with the kid who's doing that. Very often there is uh, friction in the family. Uh, there are issues where, you know, years ago you used to be able to deal with it, but you don't dare today because you're going to get sued. You have to call Child Protective Services or whatever the state equivalent or provincial equivalent may be. So none of this sounds very paranormal, but, 
But again, you have to deal with the people who, as Sasha said, really in the end have to fix it themselves. Um, th sometimes there are parasites. Uh, there are parasites of about nine different species that we have identified over the years um, from a very higher echelon. We ca I call them the wise, uh, but they're wise in the ways of their own people. You know, they're, they're very good at mimicking Uncle George, who died 10 years ago and all this stuff. They will get into your minds. Uh, they will feed upon your energy and they learn about you very quickly. It's really quite disconcerting until you get their number. And you realize what it is, and once you, and people have told us this in, almost invariably. Now that I understand it, I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. I love to hear mm -hmm. that, you know. And so that that's how we begin the approach. And, and every case is different. In dealing with a parasite, uh, we that we use what we call the Peter Pan theory. It sounds silly, but it's think happy thoughts. Um, 1998. A case um, in, in Rhode Island, uh, the woman was, we find that, that even if there are several parasites working in packs, which they do sometimes, uh, they will concentrate on one person at a time in a household. And in this particular case, it was the, the, the mother of the household, a young woman uh, who uh, had, had a lot of abuse as um, a younger person. Uh, now had was with in a loving environment and lo loving relationship, but had a, gone through a lot. In a role, there are health issues. All these things uh, can ring dinner bells for parasites if the energies at the site are right. And uh, at one point, it was we were going around. It was on her, as she would say. Her hair was standing up, and um, it, it said it didn't want me. It didn't want uh, the, uh, there was holy water in this case, okay, because they were Roman Catholics, and you know meant something to them. Uh, but I said, Steve, that was her husband. Take her hand. We took her hand. Uh, there was this flash of like energy, and, and off, and it, it went away. And he said, "You know, Paul, you could have told me about coming together and standing in solidarity against these things all day, but that really showed me that it works. That simple, kind act of taking her hand, because that's what we say: come together, tell your loved ones that you love them. Don't wait. If there are issues, work them out. It's too important not to." You know, and just even if you're, you're if somebody who's completely alone, you're never alone because of the multiverse. They're always you're always loved right. and you're never alone. And this is the approach we take. And, you know, so we, I don't go in and do exorcisms anymore. I don't feel competent to do that anyway. Uh, if it's something we can't handle, we'll call on someone else. Um, we, we often will use people with PhDs who are physicists or whatever who are interested in studying this. Uh, so that's a set. We take a very simple Person-centered approach. Do you find it uh, like this? This house that my sister still owns seems to have a life of its own, right? It doesn't matter who. It's not really to a person. It seems to be that place. But would we nef definitely want to like exercise it, or should we study it? it? This could be a portal and a way of uh, figuring out this phenomenon because it seems to be consistent. Like the areas that you described, yeah. there are certain areas that seem to be portals. I, I think it'd be a shame to just send anybody on to the other side when you have an opportunity to perhaps you know conduct some studies of this area and see what's going on. Well, I, would... I, I just became aware. Um, we have two minutes, but go ahead. Yeah. Your turn. Okay. I just. Um... I would I would study it if nobody's being is if nobody's in pain from it, but be be very careful about sending people to quote the other side. Because the question arises, which other side? There are billions right. and trillions, uh, and the light 
is a world boundary in our experience. You send them across, you could be sending them to a hell world, <laughs> you know, and right. you don't hear from them again, so everything's great. You know, we don't know, you don't know that, you know. So I would say um, if no one is suffering from it, study it. If not, deal with the person. If it's a parasite, you might have to take further action, but uh, I guess we're out of time, so. Yeah, well, we have one minute, so tell us about yourself, how to reach you, your book. Okay, no, thank minute. you. Talk yeah, oh, well, the, the best, best place to start is uh, behindtheparanormal.com, not beyond, behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, that's a website with links to our case histories. We have over 800 hours of free uh, shows we've done over the past 11 years, including CBS. And uh, it's um, just go go to town. There's another NewEnglandGhosts.com. Uh, a couple of books are in stores. Uh, the the new one is coming out the end of August. Uh, Dancing past the graveyard. That'll be in stores too, and uh, we'll take it from there. Well, it's very exciting. I love your work. And what's the conference you're going to be presenting? What's it oh, that's going to be the the uh, yeah the X Filers United. 2019 conference and that's going to be in warwick rhode island at the crown plaza hotel april 26th 27th 28th and um uh, i'm speaking on the 27th saturday at uh, 4 p.m well make sure you go there because it's going to be awesome i wish you could be there but it's a way across the planet for me well, someone in the multiverse you're there yes we'll meet in the multiverse much love and blessings aloha everybody thank you sir Any commercial advertising you may hear in this program is of the sole discretion and benefit of the host of whose program you are listening to. Revolution Radio does not endorse any commercial products, nor does it accept monetary compensation for on-air advertising of commercial products, nor will it ever. We are and shall remain 100% listener supported. Any product advertising on this program are considered used at higher risk, and Revolution Radio shall not be held liable for any claims or damages received from any product advertised within this program. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. 
The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Take a look around, kid. What do you see? Homes being foreclosed. People working two, three jobs just to put food on the table and still drowning in debt. Don't get me wrong. This country was founded on great ideals and principles. They've all been ruined by the banks. Open your eyes to the banks that are robbing you. You know who my favorite president was? Who? Alice Jefferson. Because he saw all of this coming and tried to stop it. He fought the banks. JFK too, and they killed him for it. The banking institution is more dangerous than an army, he said. He also said that every generation needs a revolution, Jimmy. The American dream is just that. Just a dream. War is a continuation of politics. Only by other means. Politics is a continuation of economics by other means. This is our bank. This 